Tonight's program is a discussion of the film Fantasia, the 1940 animated classic from Walt Disney and Associates. It is about the nature of art, some of it for its own sake, some of it within the framework of a story that has defined our artwork for the last millennia. And sometimes it is defined by the yammering of two hopeless idiots. This is the start of our tonight's program. Two idiots will yammer about the fine title. I can't go on like that. <laughs> uh, you did a pretty good okay. job. I'll, I'll, I'll give that a solid D+. Okay. I, I, can, already te- I yeah. can already hear the people switching off. You know what? We don't want them. Don't I, want exactly. Them if, you can't, if you can't appreciate a night, of, a night of the arts. And nothing says arts like Disney animation. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> because this week at Aspiring Snobs. Actually, screw it. This month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, John, tell them your idea. Go ahead. We're doing a special little programming block. We are doing Animation Month. <laughs> Which you wanted to call. That, that's not important. <laughs> it is important, John. What do you want to call it? <laughs> I was trying to think of a good portmanteau for it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not quite a portmanteau, but go ahead. <laughs> In a month, Shin, maybe? About something like that? You know? Brilliant. I'd, okay, you come up with better. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, I've, I'm not going to bother, because now everybody else has switched off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have zero listeners left. Fine. You know what? It's, this is for us. Absolutely. <laughs> And I think I, I think that's what art should be. Um, some some say that art should be have no practical use and be for its own purpose. I feel like it should be for the, for the artist's purpose. Mm. That like is for some reason, <laughs> extremely selfish. Good 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 job. Uh, yes, because <laughs> art is. I mean, somebody should be applying those skills to something in a better society instead of something as frivolous as art is. I I, I disagree. I think art that the artist should be so kind of self-absorbed that they think that it's for the greater good, but really it's for themselves. Ah, that's yes. a good point, too. They should be that delusional. It does require a lot of ego, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. I have something so specific to say that yeah. I chose this medium to describe it, and it's up to you to figure it out. <laughs> yes, and I t- devoted all this time and energy instead of, say, raising a family, contributing to society. Mm-hmm. Or just getting on a soapbox and rambling. Yeah, <laughs> which is, could be more effective in some cases. Than... It's the most efficient way. Absolutely. Let's be, let's be real here. Yeah, Come on. just cut a straight line. <laughs> Why use subtlety or, or figurative language or anything like that, you know? It's just, it, it, just cut to the chase. Exactly. Already, already we're off on a discussion of art. John, why are we on this discussion of art? Because this month is Animation Month. Mm-hmm. For our first part of Animation Month, we are exploring the 1940 Walt Disney classic Fantasia. I gave that. I, you gave that a lot of stank. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly how they pronounce in the 40s. I would have, I would have gone with a, a 30s or 40s affect. Give like Fantasia. <laughs> oh yes, that's true. The uh, hot crackers. It's the talk of the town. <laughs> there's a host to this movie, and he's giving that classic 1940s diction. Yes. What's straight from the radio yes. and into your screens comes Fantasia. His name is Deems Taylor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't convinced that that was his voice. He looked. Well, he looked like he should have had an old nasally man voice. Instead, it had perfect. It had, instead, it had perfect radio intonations. <laughs> it definitely seems like it was ADR'd in post. Oh, it was definitely ADR'd. Are you kidding? But what I this love was about 1940. it is, yeah. But what I love about it is, it doesn't seem like they did multiple takes. It seems like they literally just recorded him the one time, as if this were a live performance. Because I do swear he flubs at one point. And it's like, nope, don't. You, this is like, just pretend like it's a live orchestra, so just go with it. <laughs> so I, I do kind of appreciate that. I guess so. Well, I think that's just because dubbing is so hard. Mm-hmm. Like even like even if you just had to ADR like a three second clip, like even that's hard. But the whole, as you mentioned, his whole introductions to each of the animated segments in this movie are ADR'd. Mm-hmm. Or we should probably explain to anybody, ADR means automatic dialogue replacement. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's basically dubbing. So 
I I can understand the challenge of him having to do having to do a three to four minute introduction, and try to follow what his actual lips in on screen. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem fair, but I think the audio quality in this movie is kind of like lackluster. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! A giant black hole of irony just flew behind me. I'm getting sucked in. <laughs> hey, again, John, we're the umpires. All right, nobody expects the umpires to get up there. <laughs> and face and 90 mile run. an hour fastballs, okay? Yeah, right. Okay, good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so we can we can call the pot whatever color we want. <laughs> so yeah, Fantasia, what did you think, Greg? Overall thoughts, go. So <laughs> that, that give me a second. Yeah, give me a second to collect my thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I feel weird approaching any Disney movie now because. Again, this is this is a classic. Yeah, this is this has been preserved and admired for over eighty years now. Eighty years. Mm-hmm. So I want to approach. I want to approach it as a film lover, as a film scholar, and a critic. Um, but I can't because it is a Disney product, and Disney has tried so hard to make all of their, like every endeavor that they do, a product. So now I can't approach it as any of those things. I can only approach it as a consumer. And that again, I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if it's them for driving this <laughs> this uh, consumer center, con- driving consumer center products for the, for their entire existence. If it's my fault that I can't look past uh, the cultural weight of Disney and all its capitalism, but I I only approach this film as a consumer. And I want to preface that is because as a consumer, I was very bored <laughs> and very. And impressed only lightly, and um, just ready to move on with my life. Mm. See, I, I, I came from the total opposite area. Okay. Because what I appreciated about this movie is this came from an era where Disney was still kind of scrappy and still willing to kind of take some risks. And this is a very risky endeavor, or at least from our vantage point. That's a, true. A movie that's just a series of vignettes set to classical music, like to try to do that today is absurd. Well, yeah, no major studio would ever mm-hmm. <laughs> approve that kind of project. Again, it's I mean, gonna... there's no merchandising potential whatsoever. So, <laughs> no. It's not based on a familiar story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although some of the I guess we'll get into the music. I guess <laughs> I get were people in 1940, you know, clamoring to go to the theater. Hey, I'm going to hear the Nutcracker. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot less options back then. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but I well, okay. Cards on the table. Mhm. I'm a lover of animation. I'm a lover of classical music. Th- these so, are, yeah, th- that's an obvious. John, you're underselling that. I love this movie. Okay. <laughs> I-, I had a feeling you would. But you are kind of right. I love this movie in the same way that I love Metropolis, which is like, I love it on an intellectual level. I love everything that it kind of represents. But if I'm taking a night in on Friday night, what am I putting in? Fantasia or Zoolander? (laughs) I'm probably putting in Zoolander. It's not exactly a fun watch, but Mm. again, the artistry and the music, and just again, like, taking those risks. A scrappy little studio, literally with, you know, Walt Disney himself, like, looking over his animators, like, checking their work. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's a small scale appreciation that you can kind of have about this movie. Eh, I think, I given know. the context of, I mean, yeah, now given the context that Disney is now this juggernaut that kind of like sucks souls dry, like <laughs> Satan does in A Night of Bald Mountain. But <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, if you kind of like relegate your mind, push your mind back to like 1940, like this, I think this is a masterpiece. Okay, let's go back to what you, you compared it to Metropolis, because that's actually what my mind went back to, too. Mm-hmm. Two, two. <laughs> that's what two, my mind. As well. Yes, that's what my mind went back to as well. Now, I love, like you, I love Metropolis too. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not the most enjoyable watch in the world. Like this, it's a practically silent movie. Mm-hmm. But you said you like it intellectually. I love Metropolis intellectually as well, just by what it's trying to say. So not only is it not only by what it does and what an achievement it is and how influential it is. Like again. I mentioned this in our episode of Metropolis. Go watch. Go listen to it now. <laughs> uh, I I appreciated Metropolis just because of its influence. I can see the influence that it's had over all of Western filmmaking in the mm-hmm. ninety years since it's been released. In the same way, I can see 
all the influence that Fantasia has, I can see, especially over Pixar, like I'm seeing a lot of like images are now bleeding into what Pixar and modern animation today. Again, at 80 years later, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. But Metropolis has a theme and a focus and a story to tell that I really latched onto as well. Whereas yeah. Fantasia does not. So no. I did not connect with it. I can kind of appreciate, I can I can be drawn, I can be momentarily swept up in the sensation of it. But again, it's I love that analogy used. It's like I physically watched the movie. <laughs> but I didn't well, really absorb it on an intellectual level. Yeah, but again, it's not trying to do that. This is a ostensibly a series of short films. That is not so ostensibly right. it is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so to kind of ask for a more kind of cohesive whole, I think it's fine because again, that's not what it's trying to do. No, but I, but we're talking about you know now now we've got to put it on a pedestal. Now we've got to put it on this plinth of you know over eighty years later, hmm. and I can't now I can't like kind of reach that level. I can't put it up there hmm. in the same way I can put that if we're going to compare it to highly influential movies. I can't put it there like I would Metropolis. Hmm. So okay. that's that's the issue I'm having. All right. Well, I disagree. <laughs> I can tell you disagree. over. Good night. We're going home. <laughs> yeah. I knew you would disagree because not to not to be level one kind of you know base base critics here. Yes. But it has two th- two things that you really adore: classical mm-hmm. music and animation. And I wanted to get first to the classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, I mean, this does kind of go back to your criticism, which is, this is, this is a concert film, also. An anthology, yeah, and a, and a concert film. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of pieces, like you normally would go see if you went to a classical concert. Mm-hmm. They usually, you know, don't do like a night of Mozart. They usually do like a selection of pieces. And usually there's like an undercurrent or a theme. And for this one, I don't particularly see a theme. I could be wrong. I could um, not be doing my research, or I could be a Philistine. I don't know. (laughs) But again, I felt the same way, so I I don't think we're missing it. (laughs) So it really does seem like just kind of a random smattering of different pieces, mostly ballet, because again, ballet needs a visual, but also doesn't have words like opera does. So I can kind of understand that as well. So you're right. It would have been nice if maybe they kind of select pieces that were maybe a little more obscure because they are definitely, you know, playing the hits here. Mm-hmm. And it would have been nice if there was like a reoccurring theme or something like that. Like maybe if they did all ballet, then it would be a little forgivable, like with a kind of massive overweight ballet that they have. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's a, Yeah, that's what I was trying to think because I was wondering about the origins of this project. Because it seems like we had the idea, okay, let's take these very inspirational classical pieces that we love listening to. Let's give them some visual flair. Let's use our skills in animation and bring them to life. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that wasn't kind of the origins of this movie, of this project. <laughs> it originally started, Walt Disney wanted to make a movie starring Mickey Mouse, and he took the fable of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, mm-hmm. but and with the with the classical music that accompanies it. Because mm-hmm. I I don't know who wrote the I can't remember who wrote the classical music that was based on the fable. Um, that would be uh, one Paul Duhag. Paul Duhag, excuse me. No Duhag. Duhag, excuse me. <laughs> Again, I know you know, because <laughs> you must have about eight different versions of it in your iTunes library. <laughs> that okay? No, but we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I guess that that also kind of diminishes the quality of the movie in my mind knowing that it that its origins were were much simpler than that i mean it, we talk about how it, this is like a night at the opera or a night at the mm. uh, at the symphony it's like a program a guy introduces each each segment and it his opening his, his opening monologue is all about the nature of art and i feel like this <laughs> when i say i mentioned earlier that i feel like art should come from or be made for the artist's own stake, sake Again, it felt like it came from a like well, a, like a commercial in, place, and it wasn't as risky as maybe you're you're trying to make it out to be. Not not entirely. the The little opening monologue is meant to be kind of more uh, for me. I felt it was meant to be more of kind of an educational thing. Okay. Because what he's trying to introduce to you in that little opening monologue is the idea of program music. Do okay. You, well, I, do you know what program music? No, is? I have no idea. Please explain. Okay. So there's 
there's program what he's trying to explain is that there's program music and then there's just music that's just meant for itself so program music is music that uh tends to have like a narrative element to it the example the go-to example the perfect example is peter and the wolf okay literally peter and the wolf is a story and it's also through composed which means that the actions that the the notes that the instruments are playing is meant to match up with the actions that are, are supposed to be going on in your head okay Literally, like the clarinet represents the cat, the flute represents the bird, the oboe represents the okay. wolf. Okay, so very yeah, literal in that case, and so everyone can follow along. Mm-hmm. And so what I think he's trying to explain is the fact that a lot of this is program music, but don't expect that this these animations are meant to match what the intention of the artist was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to explain. Okay. Which is certainly true, because Igor Stravinsky was probably not thinking about dinosaurs when he was <laughs> composing The Rite of Spring. Okay, that okay, that makes a little more sense to me now. Mm-hmm. And it's also important because the opening number is Toccata and Fugue by Johann Sebastian Bach, which, again, is not program music. That is just music, sacred music, we could argue. It's like music just for its own sake. So that's why for that one, the animation that accompanies it is very kind of abstract well yeah because it doesn't so it doesn't have any visuals that Mm -hmm. are supposed to be associated with it exactly okay all right so now i understand okay i understand a little more i guess Mm -hmm. and so it did kind of annoy me the fact that again we have this like presenter who's kind of like explaining it it's important that he does kind of explain to you and tell you up front like don't think that you know, the Nutcracker Suite is written to be accompanied by dancing flowers and mushrooms, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess maybe that is because of the audiences in 1940. Mm-hmm. Maybe not understand. I guess you should also, I guess we should also say, we have this, we have um, this MC here to essentially, that's not, <laughs> is is that what we call uh, the person who introduces the program at a, at a symphony? I'm not sure, but... Uh, well, usually you don't have that person. Usually the conductor just comes up and oh, starts right. conducting. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but we have this MC introducing it, and it also, it also, that brings to mind something else where I have a problem with the movie. It's it's trying to serve two different audiences here, two very different audiences here. Mm. Uh, an audience that would love like a night at the opera or something like that, and kids. <laughs> yeah, that's the other kind of tricky thing. Yeah, but again, like that's another tick in the pro column for me is the fact that it's trying to introduce and give a little education in classical music to children which i think is sorely lacking these days let me let me get out my my walking stick and let me tell you about the kids these days <laughs> with their fidget spinners and their ipad games and, and their why sing- don't they listen to beethoven anymore <laughs> their fidget spinners and their yo-yos <laughs> they're too busy playing on the instagrams <laughs> do you remember when milk used to come in a glass bottle I do. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Rooney. <laughs> I mean, it is educational because, again, he's not only introducing, like, the concept of classical music with program music and through composed music, but also the idea that, you know, like, this is the Night of Bald Mountain. This is what it was written to represent. This is the theme that it's playing with. Okay. But again, I, I go back to purpose. Like, if there was a theme or that was the intention, other than entertainment, like, did it have, I mean, was there a point to introducing it to classical music? I mean, was it, that didn't seem to be the intention to introduce kids to classical music. I think it was. You think so? Yeah. All right. I, I, don't, mean... <laughs> have, I don't have a rebuttal to that, but other than, other than no. I mean, that's the only reason I can see for the MC to be there. Is again, because normally if you went to a classical music concert, you would have a program with you explaining the intention. That's why CDs come with booklets, you know? Okay. So I think that's why the MC is there. I think that's why he's, you know, explaining these concepts to people and explaining the pieces before they're played. Okay, I don't know. It to me, it felt more like. And again, as we're a, trying to this elevate is a movie with Mickey Mouse in it, so obviously it's made exactly for, for me. It felt more like we're trying to elevate our juvenile form of entertainment, which is Mickey Mouse, mm. which is unicorns and Pegasus, Pegasi, and <laughs> and so like, oh, we'll get, we'll give it a classy veneer. Uh, by somewhat by somewhat applying it to a night at the opera or what is supposed to be a a classy intellectual pursuit um i mean it could be there could be a simpler explanation which is 
you know, this is just how shorts were made back in the day. Like, you know, it wasn't just Disney doing this. It was also mm-hmm. Chuck Jones and, yeah. you know, all the WB animation, like Merry Melodies. That's literally where the melodies comes from. They were, like, lifting a lot of classical music. This way you could do, like, a little silent animated short. Mm-hmm make it comedy, make it fun for the kids, and again, you didn't have to pay for the rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm, well, I'm actually very glad you mentioned Chuck Jones, because actually, mm-hmm. that's where my mind was also going. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, Warner Brothers it did their own shorts like this. Mm-hmm. The, the, like this. <laughs> actually, very different from this. <laughs> yeah. And those stick out in my mind more. I was kind of, as I was watching Fantasia, I was kind of comparing it to those, and why did I admire those Chuck Jones shorts versus the ones I was seeing here. And I think it's because there's there's a logic and a story to them, mm-hmm. whereas this one's just showing off the, the incredible animation skill, which it is. Yeah. I don't want to actually denigrate how beautiful this film is. <laughs> but um, it's, it's kind of purely some sensation, and there's not, there's not enough logic to it, whereas um, in, the, in those Chuck Jones shorts, they're kind of using logic to craft, you know, brilliant jokes. And that, that's what sticks out in my mind more. And that's why I admire those more than well, I Chuck admire the Jones, shorts Fantasia. Chuck Jones definitely has more of a, a narcic sense of humor. That, that too. That he definitely brings to his work as well. That like, too. And there was an, there's an edgy quality to it. That... Exactly. Like, the, like, if we're talking Chuck Jones, you can't help but bring up what's up, what's up. What's <laughs> yes? I was I was gonna struggle with it too. What's opera doc? <laughs> What's opera doc? Yeah. yeah, which again is set to Ride of the Valkyries. It's set to you know the music of Richard Wagner, mm-hmm. and again, but that's also like it's kind of spoofing it. It's spoofing the idea of opera. Uh, Bugs Bunny is playing the Valkyrie, and you know he's swooning, and you mm-hmm. know Elmer Fudd is Gil the Wabbit. You know, yeah. it's it's definitely a lot more fun than this. This is taking it a little more straight faced. Yeah, and designed to. I, I, if you look at the intentions, it's designed to maximize the talents of the of the animators behind it. Whereas mm-hmm. that that I think is more parody and and being kind of a, <laughs> being kind of a smartass with the material. <laughs> whereas here, whereas here, it's treated with much more earnestness and sentimentality. And you think that's a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing, but d- no, that's not a bad thing. What is a bad thing is that there's that there isn't that emo- that an intellectual heft behind it. Hmm. That's what I again. There's no through line. If there was a common theme, like you mentioned, if there was a common theme, I would have admired it more. If mm. there was a, a story that I could emotionally connect to, I would have admired it more. I actually like the of if we get into more details of the shorts, I actually liked the Sorcerer's Apprentice because there's a story to tell there. I had the exact opposite reaction, which is the more literal ones mm-hmm. were the ones I find myself disliking. Really? So, yeah. So, what are we? Characters <laughs> with two different perspectives? <laughs> oh, what an odd couple we make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the sources are prince. Like, well, I mean, but again, for those very literal ones, like um, the sources are prentice, and then, oh, shoot, what's the other one? It's not the right. Um... Oh, Dance of the Hours. Dance of the Hour, yes, with the um, for, the, for uh, Dance of the ballet hours. with the ballet ostriches and hippos and mm-hmm. crocodiles. Yeah, um, for those I didn't I didn't feel like I was appreciating those much anymore because again it's like cartoonish, juvenile and designed for kids. Mm-hmm. And what I kind of wished about this movie is that it did take kind of the more abstract techniques like they did with Takata and Fugue. Although if we're really going to get into it, my personal favorite is The Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky. Because, and that as he explained... is... The Earth's the Beginnings and the Dinosaurs. Okay, yes. <laughs> I should probably explain, I have the, the Wikipedia page open, because, <laughs> I, again, I was just kind of 
barely following along. I well, also worked out before I watched this movie, and so I was kind of dro- dozing off. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> I, I don't mean that to pity. That's that's my problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so Rite of Spring was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you know anything about the Rite of Spring. Uh, no, I don't. I know more about dinosaurs. I can explain that to you. <laughs> the Rite of Spring. The table. Good for you. <laughs> the Rite of Spring is the most recent work that they featured. So okay. recent, in fact, that Igor Stravinsky was still alive, and they had to actually ask him for permission to use it. Okay. And uh, it premiered in, I believe, 1913, and it's a ballet. And what made it unique at the time was it was a very modernist piece. Well, neoclassical, if we're getting, you know, sophisticated, but... <laughs> I don't know what you're and... talking about, but okay, continue. <laughs> and the idea is that it's meant to play up the... Instead of kind of like the refined and elegant nature of ballet, it's meant to be kind of more barbaric and savage. What it's meant to represent is like a pagan ritual, and it's meant to kind of demonstrate a... Of human sacrifice on stage. Audiences did not react well to it when it premiered in Paris. They literally rioted. It's but, a very famous what? work of classical music. Yeah, exactly. They rioted over a ballet? Mm-hmm. And so, to, again, like, that's why... Didn't they have other things to focus on in Paris? Like, not dying of cholera? <laughs> I think that would have been a higher priority. Over getting mad. Getting mad about a ballet, but whatever. Continue. So, again, like, a little courage there to kind of feature this piece of music, which uh, doesn't really kind of go with the rest of it. And But what they did was, what the animation was, they decided to make it about the beginnings of Earth and bring us to the times of the dinosaurs. Again, level thinking, dinosaurs are awesome. So <laughs> yeah, this is the most awesome part of the movie. Yep. But again, what it does is it carries over that same theme that the m- music is about. The music is meant to be primal. It's supposed to be savage. So what do we do? We don't literally do the same thing showing savage humans doing a pagan ritual. We show dinosaurs literally eating each other. Like we bring you back to a savage time, but not the exact specific savage time. So again, it carries Mm -hmm. that theme over, but again, does something different with it. Okay. So that's why that's my favorite part of the movie. Okay. But that, for you, <laughs> mm-hmm. it requires a little background knowledge, so I had no idea. Well, I mean, I don't want to brag, but yes, <laughs> I am quite erudite. But you have to bring something else to it that I that I can't. <laughs> is that is that good? I mean, it's. I think this movie's designed to be for a broad audience who may not be bringing that that kind of uh, context to the movie. Well, so. yeah, and knowing that, you're right. Knowing what you know about the Rite of Spring, like, yeah, that can also work. But again, level one, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs <laughs> are awesome. And they eat each other. And it's sweet. I know, but John, they were so stupid, they didn't even know that an asteroid killed the dinosaurs. I mean, hello. <laughs> None of the dinosaurs have feathers. This is completely inaccurate. Yeah. They also didn't show humans there. And they said it was like billions of year olds, not 6,000. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> This does not match the Creation Museum that I went to last week. I know. was 1940 people (laughs) and yet we still have people who vote on the basis of whether their candidates believe in evolution or not great so what a wonderful yeah what a wonderful time to be alive in america (laughs) so was um sources apprentice your favorite yeah i i latched on most of that one actually i (laughs) i actually kind of latched on to the pastoral symphony (laughs) Mm. Um, see that one i didn't like too much (laughs) 
latched onto the Sorcerer's Apprentice just because it was telling a conventional narrative that I could follow along with a with a a, a theme that you know that you know transcends the time as a student showing arrogance and you know requiring his mentor to you know fix his problems. <laughs> um, again, it's a he. <laughs> Because it's never a she in these situations. I don't know. See, I didn't like Sorcerer's Apprentice because it strains credulity. Like, why <laughs> does way? a why does a perfectly normal human sorcerer have an anthrop- anthropomorphic mouse as his assistant? Just doesn't make sense to me. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. And the the broom sprouts arms. I'm not sure if that was part of his magic spell, but you know. Mm-hmm. Also, where did all that water come from? Was it just like an em- endless well? <laughs> Exactly. How does it when he chops it up, it, it becomes more brooms? How does that work? Ugh, it's just ridiculous. You know. Also, this movie's showing evolution and magic. I mean, this is pretty much the most <laughs> demonic movie of all time. <laughs> well, literally, because we get to see Satan later on in the movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll get to the conclusion and the interesting choice to conclude on that number. But mm-hmm. uh, I really latched onto that one, and also the uh, the one set in kind of the. It's, the the Greek uh, pantheon or uh, pantheon, the uh, Greek uh, the Greek realm, uh, the pastoral <laughs> symphony by Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think just because there's a there's a visual splendor to it, mm-hmm. it's certainly kind of the most colorful. But also there there are little things you latch onto like in that short. There's a family of a uh, Pegasi, mm-hmm. winged horses, and there's one they show they show a brief glimpse of a of a black colored. Peg- uh, Pegasus, uh, I guess, cult, <laughs> um, trying to learn how to fly, and I'm like, okay, that's sweet. That you know, that's that's a that's a little story for all ages. You know, when mm. when the other when his siblings, you know, kind of gently glide, gently land to the water, he dives in. <laughs> when they have a little diving contest later, he actually that's when he glides and, and safely descends into the water. You know, mm. I could I could admire that character for being a black sheep. Yeah, it a is liter- it a is... literal black sheep. <laughs> It is very sweet, but for me, it kind of tipped over a little too far into, like, twee. I guess you're right, yeah. Because, yeah, it's very sweet, because then we go into, what, uh, centaur, satyr, centaurs, right? Centaurs. Centaurs, yes, centaurs. <laughs> the Centers for Disease Control, that's what we, that's what we transitioned into. <laughs> yeah, it's a very dark turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, they have to eradicate that polio, that's the conclusion of the story. Yeah. <laughs> um... But yeah, the the rest of the setting just kind of goes into you know it's very light and erudite and although the gods do create a storm later, it's not it's not threatening. Yeah, well, it it kind of feels like for that one for me like the music dictated where the animation went, not the kind of other way around. Because again, in that movement, really, you think up, they wanted to do the an- for the other shorts? They they did the an- they conceived of the animation first, then did the music. I feel like there was more of a synthesis in the other ones. Okay. Where it's like they obviously want to do the pastoral symphony, and you know it's very like light and airy, like dun, 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 dun. it's a very effervescent piece for most of that movement until it you know gets done. Yes. And then when it does, like that's when Zeus has to come down and just start throwing what, lightning yeah. bolts for no reason. <laughs> like and he takes like perverse glee in it. Too. Yeah, he's, he's like, smiling. Oh. I, yeah, I think he didn't understand. <laughs> I think he wanted to join in the fun and didn't understand how to do it. Okay. <laughs> like a child coming in and roughhousing, you know, they don't mm-hmm. they don't understand their own strength or social cues or things like that. Mm-hmm. Again, I again I latched on to what little story there was. Not maybe not necessarily theme, but that's that's what intellectually hit me and that's what's stuck out to me. Okay. Um even it, <laughs> also probably um <laughs> not a coincidence, also kind of the most childlike and mm-hmm. and the ones that would respond cuz the other the other moments that stick out in my mind are um, what's that? What's that ballet we mentioned earlier? The the dance of the hours, mm-hmm. which has very cartoonish ballet dancers that are hippos and ostriches and crocodiles. Yeah. There's a little story going on too, where the the crocodiles are are pitched as villains and, yeah, and they're um, trying to like maybe eat the other animals. Yeah, and the animals dance their way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of like that one because again, there's kind of a contrast with the fact that all these are African animals. In this kind of Greek setting, they've got like Ionic columns and stuff like that they're dancing around. So I thought that was kind of cute. I do think it's kind of weird that they did that back to back with the Pastoral Symphony. So it's like Greek setting followed by another Greek, Greek setting. setting. Yeah. And yeah. also, again, not necessarily childish, but designed to appeal to children in a way. Mm-hmm. 
whereas the others not so much, especially in the concluding short film. Yes, so this is one of the most. This is probably the most infamous uh, short of the film, which is "Night on Bald Mountain" mm-hmm. by Modest Mordes Mazorski. I can never figure out how to pronounce his name. Which he calls one of the greatest composers from Russia. Uh, okay, <laughs> I d- if, yeah. I d- if we balls, only count the, the mighty handful, that guy. I'm not. Yeah, a, I'm not a classical music snob, but he, <laughs> he did. He didn't even mention the name Tchaikovsky. <laughs> well, I, they already did a piece by Tchaikovsky earlier. They did the Nutcracker. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, which that one I also kind of like because, again, like it's not as literal. That one's all flowery images and nature. And again, we're supposed to kind of intuit that these are like ballerinas. They're representative, but they're not exactly figurative. Yeah, but again, there's no story to kind of go along with it. We just see fairies kind of dancing. Although th- yeah. that, to me, was the most visually impressive one. Mm-hmm. Because there's one moment where they're kind of um, plieing on these, it looks like three-dimensional, uh, I th- I, it might have been live-action snowflakes kind of spinning around. Mm-hmm. And and. Again, it surprised me. Like in the middle of this two D animation, is, are these three D elements? Mm-hmm. It's very impressive. And also, they they use that uh, that twinkling effect <laughs> that they famously used later. They used again in uh, in Cinderella when they magically put a dress on and they have that little tinsel follow down. <laughs> and I thought for yeah, nineteen forty, like hugely, that was probably hugely impressive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think visually Night on Bald Mountain is probably the most impressive, but again, it's kind of the sharpest contrast and the biggest kind of tonal whiplash you can possibly ever yes. have in a kids movie. <laughs> so we literally go from like dancing hippos and crocodiles to Satan himself <laughs> atop a mountain. <laughs> exactly. And like it's infamous because, like, literally parents would complain to the Disney company, like, this gave my children nightmares. Because <laughs> it is quite scary. Yeah. Again, like, kind of, kind of throws me off balance, and like, can I really admire it? <laughs> or mm. it's, it's a huge demerit in my mind. Like, what, what are you trying to say, film? <laughs> well, again, I do because appreciate I, the fact it that... is trying to, it is trying to entertain kids with the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Like, again, having Mickey in a starring role, I thought, like, oh, this is a movie for kids. Mm-hmm. In addition to being a, a, a night at the symphony. But then you have this scene, and I'm like, what? Again, where, where are we going here? Is it just to show off the? Again, the wonderful animation. I think I agree with you. This is the best animation. They saved the best animation for last. Mm. But what what is your intention behind it? <laughs> Again, was that the only intention? What is this just an exercise in applying the best animation we can to classical music? Um, for me, that's enough. Like, okay. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do agree. I think there could have been some shuffling. Like I said, like we literally go from like Greek themed to not-so-Greek-themed, to the devil sucking up souls. Yeah. (laughs) So you're right, they could have played with things a little bit more. But I kind of appreciate that contrast. And what I guess I also didn't like about the two Greek-themed ones back-to-back is, again, like, the animation is just so similar. 
you've got these kind of like cartoony characters kind of like bouncing up and down and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it w- I wouldn't have minded so much if maybe they put something in between or separated them a little bit. Yeah. Like, again, because the ones that spoke to me were the less literal ones. Yeah, whereas those, well, yeah, literal stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where again, the, where, again, those are the ones that, you know, really hit with me. Mm-hmm. Again, with our character differences. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever come to a consensus? I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has the best animation, but yeah, totally, like, I didn't understand like what what drew them about the night on Bald Ma- Mountain. I was I was actually going to ask you: Is there some musical context to it? Is there some reason that they ended the night on Bald Mountain and Ave Maria? Well, again, I think it was to kind of they were trying to throw a religious element at the end, which, given the time period, wouldn't have seemed so kind of out of place for Disney. Um, what do you mean? Well, again, it was the 1940s. What do you say? What do you mean? You're saying everyone well, was a. There were uh, no Jews in America back then, Greg. <laughs> there were no Muslims to you know offend. Now we live in this. Oh, here's my walking stick again. Now we live in this PC culture. You know us white Christians. We're the we're the oppressed minority here. John, if that was the case, why did they show? Why did they depict evolution in magic earlier? <laughs> Sorcery. <laughs> Because again, they're I, just trying to Again, show this off. is only eight years removed from the Scopes Monkey Trial, lest we forget. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe there is like a sense that we just got to throw in something for everybody. For those hardcore uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God crowd, we need yeah. to throw in <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Well, I, I don't mean, know. yeah. It's a very powerful piece of music, which I do think helped or was one of the reasons why they picked it. You know, it's a big, you know, like it swells and stuff like that. And, you know, again, going with literal mind, uh, literal mindedness, you know, instead of doing something more abstract, they were like, let's literally adapt the purpose behind this piece of music, which is it is literally meant to represent Satan and his dancing minions, you know? Also, what I was going to ask, like what Ave Maria represents, because maybe, maybe you're right about the dramatics of it. Like how much the music swells, like and maybe that's why they wanted to make it the climax, and also the contrast mm-hmm. between hell and, and heaven, uh, and ascension to heaven. Yeah, exactly. It's also the only piece of music in this film that has any vocals. That's true, and it's also again very popular piece of music. Like they didn't really go terribly obscure with these choices. Uh, I was reading the trivia, and apparently Takata and Fugue was pretty obscure at the time, and also wasn't very in heavy orchestra rotation it was written for an organ so that was probably unfamiliar to a lot of people but yeah these are all pretty popular choices like dance of the hours come on camp granada yeah (laughs) and doesn't he also say like you're you're probably familiar with the nutcracker exactly yeah even though he says like there's another ballet that's not performed anymore what what exactly did yeah i didn't i didn't catch all that yeah neither did i i was wondering like did this repopularize? Did this movie repopularize the the Nutcracker, and now it becomes season? And now it becomes you know, holiday <laughs> like a holiday tradition. Yeah. To put it well, on. Again, so, I thought it was very weird for them to include Rite of Spring because I thought that was like kind of a big hush hush no no. But mm-hmm. you know, looking back on it, we are two decades separated from when it premiered, so maybe yeah. by that point it kind of had gotten that appreciation. Yeah. And American audiences of... don't care. I mean. <laughs> Or they didn't know the context of when it premiered. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you're right. Uh, I wish I could kind of speak more to the intentions of the filmmakers, but really, I don't see it. <laughs> speak for them, John. <laughs> Pick sides. <laughs> Defend this movie. Again, I think they just picked pieces that were popular and would also be easy to kind of animate to. That's why they did so many ballets. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is a this is a beautifully animated movie. I can understand how how powerful it is 80 years later, the influence it kind of has. But yeah, for me, uh, it needed to do more on an intellectual level. Uh, really Kel Surprise, Greg needs it. a story. <laughs> Mr. Screenwriter over here, I need a story. Where's my, where's Where my characters? Where was the inciting incident? <laughs> where's my three-act structure? It gives you an intermission. What else could you want? <laughs> that to me was the weirdest one. The intermission is just them getting off stage and then suddenly they're back. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I, I was kind of secretly hoping that they like literally inserted like fifteen minutes of black. <laughs> I think that would have been cool. 
<laughs> like just kind of a little joke. You know what I would have liked better was a let's all go to the lobby little animated short, like very light and fluffy. In well, contrast that's the weird to the... thing. That's the weird thing. When they come back to the little animation, they do a little like jazzy jam session. That's true. They do like a little doo 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 doo. It's yeah. it's kind of interesting let's... choice. Yeah. Well, maybe it's educational. Like, <laughs> maybe this was designed to educate because you could say, like, "Hey, here are sound waves. Here's what they look like." Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He also does that. I forgot about that. See, it is. A, it is a. All kids should see this movie. Yeah. Damn kids today, and their Miley Cyruses and their <laughs> chain smokers, and you know, all that rap and hippity hop. Why don't they listen to classical music anymore? Yeah. Wah. Whatever, old man. Forget Fantasia. <laughs> It's it's out of here. <laughs> I'm watching my sponge my SpongeBob's and my regular shows and my my little ponies. <laughs> well, this movie has a fair amount of ponies in it. That's true. <laughs> Without the irony. Mhm. This movie needed more irony. <laughs> but it was the 1940s. Everything was earnest. Yep. You couldn't make it any more earnest if Frank Capa directed it. like once again me and you just can't get along no a classic john and greg banter yep the classic odd couple foils as it were <laughs> exactly well let's see if we'll continue to foil with our signature spotlight segment <laughs> sorry let me do that again. <laughs> no it's staying in <laughs> oh damn it all right fine <laughs> no go go ahead do it again with our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Hooray for Hollywood. In this segment of Spotlight, Greg will recommend a movie or TV show. Greg, what do you have for us? Well, I could recommend more than a movie or TV show. I could technically recommend literature. Oh. Or music. However, tonight, I'm recommending a TV show. <laughs> I just want to, you know, for any new listeners, mm-hmm. I'm just saying we can we can kind of break the mold. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be a visual medium. Yes. And it, but in any event, I wanted to since this is Anna Munthshin, <laughs> I wanted to spotlight <laughs> some of my favorite animated programs and movies. Mm-hmm. And so the one I wanted to spotlight today is called the Ricky Gervais Show. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, John, I've, you and I love the love the art form of the podcast, mm-hmm. and this show was born out of one of the original, one of the first podcasts, the Ricky Gervais Show, hosted mm-hmm. by Ricky Gervais, his uh, co-writer and collaborator, Stephen Merchant, and their radio producer, Carl Pilkington, <laughs> one of the most brilliant, unintentionally hilarious minds <laughs> ever to grace the earth. <laughs> and so they took what was their radio show. And they started putting it online around 2005, 2006. And then around 2009, they started animating it. Mm. And Which is again, kind of the life cycle of all podcasts. When you think well, I was, it. I was thinking about that. I don't think every podcast necessarily lends itself to animation or a visual accompaniment. Mm. I will say ours doesn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're no, talking about very not. conceptual ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas... In the Ricky Gervais show, they do talk about conceptual ideas, but it's filtered through the the uh, Manchester adult brain of <laughs> one Carl Pilkington, who has the most straight-minded, pragmatic brain, simple, pragmatic, gullible brain of all time. 
Is that something characteristic of Manchester people? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Uh, you know, uh, not to not to denigrate the North or the or the Midlands, but <laughs> oi. In case we have any listeners from there, I, s- I seriously doubt we do. But <laughs> no, we're an East London kind of crowd. Yeah. <laughs> oi. <laughs> Wanka. <laughs> that he, I mean, he really is the star of the show because they keep peppering him um with these with these challenging questions and he he's he's so simple-minded he's so set in his ways my favorite segment is of course monkey news where he gullibly (laughs) rather gullibly accepts a a story about a monkey doing this extraordinary thing whether it's entering the tour de france (laughs) or serving as a jockey during a big horse race or saving people as a firefighter in new york (laughs) And just assume that it's true. That's the, and of course, you know, Ricky Gervais and 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 Stephen Merchant being skeptical always push back on it, and that's where really the the, the hilarity ensues. <laughs> so, just so we can make this clear for everybody, mm-hmm. two hours of the most spectacular animation ever committed to celluloid is not enough for Greg. No, but little two-minute videos on YouTube. Crudely drawn. That's, they are that's not, really gets Greg Gross. They are not crudely drawn. What I like about what I love about the animation is is how clearly defined it is. It, it was inspired by Hanna Barbera, so mm. and clear outlines on every character. Um, it's just great visually. <laughs> Carl Pilkington famously has a head like an orange, <laughs> and that comes across in the animation. Uh, it is Richard very like is a squat. This <laughs> is a squat man. <laughs> Stephen Merchant is obviously a lanky six foot seven, so that all comes across beautifully. So it's it's better animated than you're giving it credit for. All right. I fine. I obviously admire it because it's based on the on the brilliant podcast they've recorded, but I th- I think it's a it's a very well done animated show as well. All right. Yeah, fine. So so, it's so put your skepticism skepticism in your pocket, sir. <laughs> I will do no such thing, <laughs> as it's full of gold coins and bullions. <laughs> I envy no man. <laughs> Somebody got the Christmas Carol all of a sudden. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that East London connection. Any in any event, <laughs> in any event, yeah. What do you have spotlight, bro? So I was racking my brain, trying to think of something classical music related. Okay. To run recommend to people because I want to express my love for classical music and hope that people share in it as well. Mm-hmm. That's my just service. A, just to forewarn you, yeah. Just to forewarn everybody, John expresses his classical music like a meth head expresses his, his, his love for methamphetamines. <laughs> yes. Well, thankfully, this week something dropped in my lap. I was listening to a podcast, another mm-hmm. podcast recommendation called The United States of Anxiety, okay. which I highly recommend. Uh, this is a podcast from WNYC. It's a news podcast. And it was originally only meant to run during 2016, during the presidential election. Fortunately, or unfortunately, Donald Trump won. (laughs) And then they kind of realized, holy crap, we got a lot more material now. So (laughs) it's continuing to run. And uh, they recently, well, not recently, a few weeks ago, they did an episode based on the profiling, the famous American composer, Aaron Copland. Okay. You might be familiar with Aaron Copland. He uh, composed Appalachian Spring and portraits of Abraham Lincoln. You would recognize his work if you I, heard Yeah, him. I was about to say, play play some for me. And I'm sure okay, like, fine. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll throw I've some in the, the I've heard that in a Zoloft commercial before. Oh, you... <laughs> Anywho, it's a fascinating episode because it kind of goes through his whole career and, you know, his humble beginnings. And he eventually went to Europe to kind of learn composition and from there, he actually developed this kind of quintessentially American style. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny that he had to go to Europe to kind of learn that. And it's interesting the way he kind of like starts out his career. He's very modern. It's very atonal. And then when he comes back, his music all of a sudden becomes this swelling populist, beautiful kind of like Western inspired, like, you know, just listening to it, you imagine the amber waves of grain. And it's just, it's amazing okay. and very informative. And again, it'll help hopefully introduce people to Aaron Copeland. And then again, goes through his whole career. He eventually won an Oscar. And uh, my favorite line of the podcast is, after he won the Oscar, he wrote his good friend, Leonard Bernstein. Mm -hmm. uh, Did you hear? I won an Oscar. That means my rates go up. (laughs) As as true then as it is today. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But as all things, he was eventually blacklisted for, well, 
he was a gay Jew from New York <laughs> trying oh, to make, okay. <laughs> trying to make you know, populist music. Okay, I thought it was bad, like he was a communist or something. <laughs> Same difference. Okay. <laughs> and uh, his career never really kind of recovered from that, but you know, he lived all the way up till 1990. So, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, was, again, I'm thinking like, like kind of like a Gershwin era or something like that. Like, well, I'm actually died very young. Okay. Gershwin died of a brain tumor at like age 28. Really? Okay. Yeah. But I, that's that's kind of the era I'm picturing. I'm picturing like roaring 20s. Like I didn't know he was this contemporary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, he was only born in 1900. I, I guess only, but yeah. yeah, like he still had a long career, like a long career that still stretched into an era where you don't normally associate like classical musicians with. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's kind of the weird thing about like classical music is again with dance of the hours can anyone name anything else that composer has done probably not mm -hmm. and with aaron copeland you know he his middle phase where he was doing this kind of sweeping americana music is what he's most known for but it is kind of bookended by these histories of kind of like atonal modernist music where he was a little more experimental and again like if you really want to like get to know, I think that's what makes classical music so fascinating. If you really dig deep, you can kind of explore all these histories and all these kind of different experimentations that composers do. You know, there's more to Beethoven than just the Fifth Symphony. There's more to Igor Stravinsky than just the Rite of Spring. Yes, did the Firebird Suite for crying out loud. <laughs> right. So, so I guess my spotlight today is you know the podcast uh, United States of Anxiety. And then also check out Aaron Copeland's work and just check out classical music in general, guys. Come on. It's fun. Okay. Okay. It's fascinating. I, I was actually going to ask more about the podcast because <laughs> didn't, you didn't really go into that detail. But, you know, again, why listen to other podcasts? Yeah, you, that is true. Uh, you've got this one. I, yeah. Uh, much like This American Life, it just kind of uses <laughs> America as a jumping off point. <laughs> so anything That's kind what of I was like, You said this is WNYC and. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm already like rolling my eyes. Like, oh boy, another <laughs> another one about erudite New Yorkers like <laughs> commenting on the state of things. Well, it's like, get, a, like, get a real job. Well, NPR is kind of a massive collection of public radio stations. Mm -hmm. So WNYC is obviously one of the big ones. Like, there's yeah, also yeah. like WQED and uh, WHYY, which is based out of Philadelphia. So it's obviously WNYC. They're like their own little kind of like mini uh, NPR and obviously it's kind of like that's the it's uh, I'm trying to think of like a movie studio contemporary you know it's like it's WB and then it's you know uh, Regency so they, you can consider them something. one of the major radio stations exactly to put out mm -hmm. again the kind of the best quality programming exactly so yeah check them out I'm also spotlighting WNYC. Check out their shows. Check okay. out On the Media and Two <laughs> so, Dope Queens so, and Radio Lab. I don't know. Yeah. So, the United States of Anxiety, they just look at classical composers every week? or No, 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 no. They just kind of use themes of, like, divided America as a jumping off point. So, okay. the idea was the reason why they were exploring Aaron Copeland, because, again, this was a composer who literally came up with a style that represented America. Okay. And to watch him eventually his career kind of falter because again he was accused of being a communist mm -hmm. it's just kind of ironic so that's okay. why they kind of did an episode about him i see all right so it's not it's it's not a free-flowing conversation no no no, no. it's <laughs> uh, <again, laughs> all these like, nyc shows are like news programs <laughs> yeah all these nyc shows are news programs got it okay the other thing too is you know they have seasons they only come out with like 10 episodes at a time then they take a break for three months who wants that Jeez. When you can have a podcast that comes out weekly, yes, and never takes a break, we and will never, you never you appreciate them for yeah. all the hard work they do. <laughs> Sorry, I know. No, John, we're very grateful for our committed because they're just as committed listening every week. Yeah, but you know what? How they could really show their commitment first by listening to us mm -hmm. right now on either Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any pot any of the number of podcasts. We're gonna be on Spotify soon. Not a lot of people uh, know this. Yeah, because... sure. Yeah. <laughs> get right on that. <laughs> Not a lot of people know this, because I've only seen some podcasts get on there, but eventually we'll do it. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. But John, how else can they connect with us? What else are they going to do to connect with us? Well, first of all, after they're done listening, they're going to leave us a rating and a review, right? Absolutely. Of course they exactly. will. Exactly. They wouldn't let me down. <laughs> no, they wouldn't dare. 
I have so much faith in them. And after that, they're going to connect with us on social media. Our Facebook, Facebook's page, <laughs> our Twatter's, Fitzes, our Instagram. Sorry, John, I, I'm having a stroke. I'm going to go to the hospital now. Okay. <laughs> you take us home. <laughs> okay. You can find us on Twitter at Aspiring Snobs. You can find our Facebook page, Aspiring Snobs Podcast. And you can also email us at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com if you want to make a recommendation or leave us a comment. Or maybe if you have some questions, we'll answer them. Absolutely. We'll answer them here, live on air. Sure. <laughs> We're not exactly live, but okay. No, live at the time. <laughs> Good point. We are currently alive. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, well, hold on. You always forget. We've oh, I do. I'm sorry. Next week. <laughs> next week, we'll be watching the classic Robert Zemeckis film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Continuing our Animation Month theme. With a film that's only a third animated. <laughs> Actually, I was looking at our list, and all of them have some kind of live-action component. <laughs> that's true. But you know what? Animunction <laughs> It's about exploring the several themes. So the interaction, the intersection of live-action and animation, that's, that's, that's one of the things we'll be talking about. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>